Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 36. And you may say, I'm not sure exactly where Chronicles are. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. And then when you get to like Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther, you've gone too far. So Second Chronicles chapter 36, that's the last chapter of the book of Chronicles. So in technically, I don't know whether you realize this or not, but Second uh, Chronicles is the last book of the Old Testament. You may say, well, that's not in my Bible. Well, yeah, Ezra, and Nehemiah, and Esther, they all tie back in in a different way and, and those kind of things. So uh, we'll just see how that all ties together. You know, we see, uh, as we're studying this, we're seeing the background of the flow of history. The goal is to understand the events of the places and the people connected with Jesus. So last time, let me just, I'm going to go over this real quickly, but let me remind you of the outline of our study. We're looking at the end of the Old Testament, then we're going to go between the Testaments, a lot of amazing information there, the beginning of the New Testament and the end times. So when we think about the end of the Old Testament, if you remember on your outline, we got four different lessons and we're in the third of it, we're in the captivity, we're going to see them return to the land. Between the Testaments, I think it's going to be really interesting because we're going to see what I call the little Antichrist of the Old Testament. We're going to see what goes on, what happened to the nation of Israel in the 400 silent years that really weren't silent. And then we'll look at the beginning of the New Testament and we'll look at Israel and Rome and the forerunner and the ministry of Jesus and going to the cross and all of that. And then the last section, the end times. <clears throat> and when we look at that, we're actually going to look at uh, the Jesus and, and uh, I always call it the, the two big events. The, first of all, the coming, the rapture. We'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about him coming to the, to the earth. So one's in the air and then one's to the earth. And we'll see the kingdom. We'll even talk about the eternal state a little bit. And now let me, I haven't really emphasized this much because it's a lot lecture stuff but if you got questions comments input I mean you can stop during this time because uh, you know that's what the whole point is that we learn that we grow that we talk back and forth so there's a lot of information in these 14 lessons and the four sections and as I said you we can use this a lot as as resource material those kind of things I think it's fun I mean let me just say it this way I think we should know all this I mean a lot of people say well the Bible is important it is we need to know everything about the Bible and as we said many times we need to be able to say what's the book of Ezra about, what's Chronicles about, what's the Matthew, what's Matthew about, or Acts. That you'd be able to say these books mean these things, and Habakkuk, and who's Isaiah, and how does it all fit together? That's good to do. At the same time, we should know how it all flows together as well. Like, who are these Babylonians, and how does that tie into the Bible, and about the Roman Empire, and what? Here's a great question: Of all the times in the world that Jesus could have come to the earth to be the savior of the world, why did he come at the time of the Roman Empire? And when we look back and say, in our time period, we'd say, well, you know, in between like 62 B.C. all the way up to 33, that particular time period, why did, why did Jesus come to the world then? Could, could He could have waited till now, right? And showed up and said, listen, everybody get out your iPhones. I've got something I'd like to pronounce to the whole world or something. But, I mean, he didn't do that. So w when we get over into that, we're going to say, why would he come during the time of Rome? I mean, and think about it, you know, so all kind of different things like that. So let's start and let's, let's look. We're, we're in that first section. We got four lessons and we're in lesson number three, really the end of the Old Testament. We remember last week we ended by talking about the northern kingdom going into uh, captivity in 722 B.C. with Assyria and then the southern kingdom going in in 605 B.C. And, and what, what, if you just remember, it was such an amazing story and you know, it's a, I don't know how many people that you might talk to and you might say to them, do you know the story of what happened when the, when the Assyrians tried to take Jerusalem? And most people would say, I don't even know what you're talking about. And you could tell them this great story how one angel killed what? 185,000 Assyrians. So uh, as we look at this and as we think through this, especially the, the captivity part, there's a lot of things that happen during the captivity that changed everything. Listen, when we studied the Old Testament before the captivity, was there any talk about a synagogue? They didn't have synagogues. Why at the time of Jesus do they have synagogues? What changed? And we'll look at it as we go through. So there's a lot of great things that we'll see. Now let's think about this for just a minute. The nation of Israel is God's chosen people. Now when we say that, some people get upset because they don't understand. I've had some people say, you mean God chose 
Israel and all of Israel is saved. No, no, we're talking about as a nation, as a people group. In fact, when you look through the scripture, the, the choosing of God is always for service. It's not for salvation. Paul even says that God chose me that he might proclaim the message. He didn't say he chose me that I would be saved. And so when we look at the scripture that God chose the nation of Israel to be his instruments, and we've already talked about you know, what, they, what they did, and we'll talk more about it in just a second. But when we say chosen, we're talking about God picked a people group out, starting with some guy, you know, here's this guy named Abraham. And out of nowhere, God comes to him in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is the southern part of Iraq, near the Tigris-Euphrates River. He lived in a place called Ur. Ur was way at the southern part. And he said to him, I want you to leave, and I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you and give you. I'm going to make a great nation from you. I'm going to send a seed from you. You're going to bless the whole world. So God picked this man and his offspring to Isaac and his offspring to Jacob and his offspring to Judah and Joseph and all that, and, and, and the 12 tribes and all these things. And they ultimately became what we say is the nation of Israel. And they're God's chosen people. And he gave him a land. And he said, if you obey me, guess what? What? Get stay in the land. If you don't obey me, you're going to be moved out of the land. And so we see that this, this people group helped carry out the story of the Bible. And listen, anytime we say, what is the story of the Bible? Try to say it this way because it actually fits together good. The perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That is the story of the Bible. From the fall, from Adam and Eve, all the way to the very end, that's the story of the Bible. God is taking fallen mankind, bringing mankind back to himself, back to a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. We talked about that through Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob and the twelve tribes, all of those things that we got from the Jewish people, the word of God, and we got the Messiah. We talked about this already. Think about the Bible. You know, we, we say, we got the Bible. We think 66 books. How many Old Testament? 39. How many New Testament? 27. We say, we got it. But guess what? Um, did Moses have the Bible? No. How about Adam and Eve? How about Abraham? Isaac? Jacob? Joseph? They didn't have a Bible. And it wasn't until Moses, and Moses in 1444 B.C. wrote down the first five books. God gave it to him and gave him the information. Now, the information, everybody knew. Listen, you think at the time of Noah that they knew about Adam and Eve? Have you ever looked? Have you ever looked at timelines? How people lived from Adam and Eve all the way to Noah? There were people in Noah's day that knew Adam. You understand that? They lived that long. Can you imagine you say, did you know Adam? Oh, yeah, he's nice. He's a real nice guy. You're right. We think like, well, Adam lived here and Noah lived here. But, there were, but if you look at the timelines, get there's a, there's a company called Rose, and, and they put out all kind of charts and graphs and everything. I've got one in my office. Anytime you ever want to come by and look at it, we also put one in the library. There's one in there. And it, there, there's one part of it that actually says, okay, take all the names and their birthday, you know, how long do they live. And, when, and it is amazing there were people uh, that Noah knew that knew Adam. And we go, that is, are you sure? Yeah, oh yeah, according to, the, according to the ages. So amazing how the Bible is so perfect. The Word of God is alive and powerful. The Messiah has the seed of woman and the seed of Abram, Abraham and the son of David and the son of man and the son of Mary and the Lamb of God. What does he do? Takes away the sin of the world. Every one of us in this room should be clapping and cheering when we say, takes away the sin of the world, right? Because we all sin and come short of the glory of God. We owe God death, wages of sin is death. We're supposed to die. We're supposed to be separated from God. So what does he do? He sends his son to die in our place, to be our substitute, to be our propitiation, satisfactory payment, to be the one who died and rose again, and he offers the gift of eternal life. So God is both just and justifier. God says sin must be punished. What's the wages of sin? Death. So who has to die? We're supposed to die, but Jesus dies in our place. He's our substitute. So I'm really happy about that. I don't know about y'all, but I mean, we're not going if Jesus didn't come. So that, that's, that's just great stuff. So when we think about the nation of Israel, they had a message. And their message was simple. Salvation through faith in the coming Messiah. A lot of people think that the nation of Israel, that, uh, that, that it was the law. And everybody talks about the law, but it's not law. 
The Old Testament had law, had all that in there, but salvation has always been the same. How were Adam and Eve saved? By faith. How was Abraham saved? Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. How, did, how was David saved? By faith. How was anybody saved in the Old Testament? How is anybody saved in the New Testament? By faith. It's always the same. I've had people come up to me and say, the Old Testament you say by the law, and the New Testament you say by grace. I said, show me where you're saved by the law. Show me where anyone could keep the law in order to be saved by the law. It's impossible. Okay? So they, they had the message was salvation through faith in the coming Messiah. But look at their lifestyle. What set them apart was a lifestyle. They had a law system. Uh, 613 commandments. They worshipped a certain way. They had feast days. They had certain clothes they could wear, certain food they could eat. They made sacrifices. They were different people. God set those people apart, and they were. And they're still set apart today. And sometimes we look at some of the things we do, and we go, you, you know, that you don't really need to do that. Let me ask you a question. I've had people say, if you really want to do what's right, you should eat the same foods they ate under the Mosaic Law. I've had people say that. Well, if you look carefully in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus is talking about eating, and he says, it's not what goes in that defiles you, but what comes out of your heart. And when he says, it is not goes in what you eat, then the Bible says, thus he declared all foods clean. I mean, you can eat anything you want. So I eat a lot of shrimp. And, and uh, <laughs> under the Mosaic Law, you could not eat shrimp, okay? So they made them unique people, right? A unique, unique People, you remember the judgment. Obey, you get to what? Live in the land. Disobey, you're going to be removed from the land. We saw last time, of course, that the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And, and I want you to keep in your mind those seven Gentile world empires because they affect everything. We, we, we always say, well, the Jews. But, but the, the Jews were a people group picked out of Gentiles, technically, and there are these seven Gentile world empires, and uh, actually uh, six have already come and gone. There's one that hadn't happened yet. We'll talk more about it tonight. In fact, before we get to the end, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel, so get ready. There's going to be some really deep stuff we're going to look at, and we'll see how that fits together. The southern kingdom, of course, fell in what? 605 B.C. That's how we put it. But there were actually three deportations. I have it for you there. 605, 598, 585. The only thing, you don't have to write down these kings' names. Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. You don't have to write that down. I do want you to remember that in 605 B.C., Daniel was the one taken into captivity. At maybe 14 years old, maybe 15 years old. Isn't it funny that sometimes God uses these young people? That's why the Bible says, don't let anyone look down on your, your youth. You know, some people say they're too young to serve God, and some people say they're too old to serve God. Now, you're always, you're always just right to serve God. There's no such thing as too young or too old. Daniel was a young man taken off into captivity in 598. Ezekiel, who wrote one of the weirdest books of all, and when I say weird, there's just so many things in there that are strange. He was taken off in the second deportation, and in the third deportation, the 585 B.C., the Zedekiah was the, was the king, the temple was burned, Jeremiah was left, the city was torn to pieces. I mean, it is, a, it is an amazing thing. So we're going to talk a, a little bit more about that, but I want you to look at Second Chronicles, and I'm going to put this up right here. Did everybody get that? It's not... It's not the, the end of the world. I just remember the temple was 585, temple burns, Jeremiah was left, Ezekiel, Daniel, just kind of know that. And then look at Second Chronicles. I want you to look with me at it. Second Chronicles chapter 36, that's where you are. Uh, <clears throat> look, look basically at verse 17. Uh, oh, let me, let me read 15 for you. The Lord sent, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them, sent to the Jewish people by his messengers. Who are the messengers? What are they called? The prophets. And he had compassion on his people, but they continually, now watch, continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his word, which means we don't care anything about it, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God arose against his people till there was no remedy. What was the wrath? What is the wrath of God on the Jewish people? Remove them from the land. He told them, I've told you over and over. He says, I've told you over and over. So look what happened. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, who slew their young men with a sword in their house of the sanctuary, had no compassion for young men or virgins, old men or the infirm. He gave them all into his hand. Verse 17 says, he killed all the people, men and women, children, everything. 
And then in verse 18, all the articles of the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and his officers, he brought them to Babylon. When he tore down the temple, they came in there, and you remember they had these golden things and things made out of gold and, and the Ark of the Covenant. What was the Ark of the Covenant made out of? Wood and gold, solid gold. The lamp, the lampstand that was in the temple, what was it made out of? Solid gold. The table on the other side, the table of showbread, was gold. I mean, they took all that and they took it all away. There's tradition that says they never got the ark back. They never even made another ark. That's tradition. I don't know. I don't know if they ever made one or not. Nobody really don't know. But, but that's a possibility. So if you look at that and you think about that, uh, wow. And so look at, look at verse 19. Then he burned down the house of God, broke down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the fortified buildings with fire, and destroyed all its valuable articles. And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the rule of the kingdom of... Who's after the Babylonians? Medo-Persians. That's exactly That's who he talks about. So it, it, was, it was unbelievable. If you talk to a Jew, and Solomon's temple was the most magnificent building in the world, and you said, would God let this building be destroyed? Do you know what they'd say? No way. No how. Later on, when they rebuild the temple, and a guy by the name of Herod builds this magnificent temple at the time of Jesus, and they walk out, and Jesus is with his disciples, and they say to Jesus, well, look at this building. And Jesus said, it'll all be torn to pieces. Yeah. So, you know, when the Jewish people said, we're safe because of the temple, and God's not going to let anything happen to that. Now, let's talk about the temple for a second. I just put this here so you could get an idea. Let's talk about the temple. The temple that Solomon built was amazing. This is a kind of a reconstruction of it. I just want you to see it. This is what's called the Eastern Gate. This, this is on the Temple Mount, and they would come in through this gate, and this was the court, and some of it was times called Court of the Gentiles. One portion of it was sometimes called Court of the Women, and anybody could come in here, even Gentiles, who said they worshiped the true God. And then you could go up some steps, and then you went through this way, and there's over on this other side, and I think I have the next picture. Yeah, as you get through this other side, you're down where the priests were, and where you could bring the sacrifices, and there's the altar out front, where the brazen altar where they would offer the sacrifices, and then they would go into the temple area, and nobody could go into the temple area except the priest, and Priests could only go in the front room. The back room, the high priest could go only once a year. So that's what the, te I mean, that's what the temple looked like. That's the temple mount. And uh, some of this wall is still standing. In fact, this back wall back here is called, the, it's there today. It's called the Wailing Wall. Jews can come to the back side of that. They can't come up. Jewish people are not supposed to come. This, what, what most people think is where that was now is the, uh, the Dome of the Rock. But uh, research shows us that where the Dome of the Rock is, which is on the Temple Mount in Israel today, there where the temple was was probably a little bit over. So technically, you could put the temple in the Dome of the Rock, and they could both fit on the top of the Temple Mount, even today. So that's just some thoughts. Anyway, the temple was an amazing thing. Now, let me, let me just remind you that what it all started was God had came, came to Moses and said, I want you to make a pattern, a tabernacle, which means a temporary dwelling place. It means with tents. He said, I want you to make a tabernacle where you can worship me. And, and it, Moses did that, and this is what the tabernacle looked like. I know the, with the lights, it's just hard to see everything, but it's very similar. There's the gate that you'd come in. Here's where the priests are. Here's where they offered the sacrifices and all of that and then that's the lever and then there's the room that you go inside had the front room and the back room it was temporary because they would pick it up and move it around and they moved, from the time they got at, at Mount Sinai by the way how long were they at Mount Sinai a year, a year. they got it had the had the temp, had everything and they left and they went to Kadesh Barnea it's 11 days journey well, Kadesh Barnea is the lowest part of Israel they were ready to enter the land after how many days 11, and they sent the spies in, and the spies said, no, we can't do it. Ten of them said, we can't go. Two of them said, yeah, Joshua, Caleb, and so they didn't get to go, and so they wandered 38 and a half more years, which made 40 years total. So they carried that thing around for 40 years when they, they could have carried right in and not been through all that mess, but they didn't. Yep. When they set this up every time, 
Was that gate always facing east? Yeah, yeah, always facing east. Yeah, exactly right. It was set up in a certain way. And what a lot of people don't realize is that when they camped, uh, certain three three tribes camped on this side, three tribes camped on that side, three camped three camped on that side, and three camped. If you read to Numbers and Deuteronomy, and it actually tell you what tribes where they camped, and it told you that when they blew the trumpet, who got up first, who got to do this, who packed this stuff, who led the way. It tells you everything was organized perfectly. Perfectly. So that's the tabernacle. Let's talk about temples for just a second. There, uh, question? Yeah. The Ark of the Covenant. Yes. Anybody other than the, the uh, high priest, they would be dead. They, they would be struck dead. Mm. And yet how, why do you think that it was able to be stolen and, and the people were not struck dead? Because those people didn't know that they'd be struck dead and God basically had grace on them. Yeah, it's amazing, and and uh, yeah, it is because the the, the um, Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant, right? And they took it to the five cities, and all the boils broke out, and their hemorrhoids broke out on them, and everything else, and they had diseases. And they said, "We better give this back to the Jews." And you know what happened? The the Philistines had it for I forgot how many months now, uh, fourteen months or something. And when it came back, what did the Jews do? Some of them looked in there. And they died because they knew better than to look in there. Philistines didn't know. So God was very gracious to them. Okay. So then let's talk about temples for just a second, just so you can have background. And uh, when you think about t- Solomon's temple, by the way, this is wrong. This, this second one, let me just, it should be 535. 535. So in 950 B.C., Solomon built the temple after David. Uh, David wanted to build a temple. God said you can't build a temple because you're a man of war and a man of bloodshed. So he said it has to be a time of peace. So Solomon, his name comes from Shalom, which means peace. And so Solomon built the temple in 950 B.C., most magnificent building probably ever built, probably ever built. And then, of course, it was torn down, destroyed by the Babylonians. And then when they came back, a guy by the name of Zerubbabel, and he came back with a guy named uh, um, Joshua, who was a priest. They all came back, and, and they built the temple. It took a while. They started building it. It got stopped. They built it again. It got stopped. And they finally built it, and it was not very big. In fact, when it was completed, some of the people who came back had, had, had lived through, were old enough that they had seen the original temple. And when they saw this temple, they cried. They wept. And they wept because it wasn't very good. It, it looked small. It, it wasn't fancy. And God said to them, hey, hey, it's not what it looks like. It's what it's for. And then Herod's temple, that same temple, Herod came in here. Herod, we'll talk more about the Herods when we get a little further into it. And Herod came in there who was a ruler. He, he was the ruler of the Jews. He was king of the Jews. That's what he called himself. He was not Jewish. And, and he, built, he built onto the temple. He started building it. It took 40-something years to, to build onto the temple. So by the time of Jesus, this temple was, was really magnificent again. And then it was, it was destroyed. There's going to be a temple. I'm just giving you all the temples. There's going to be a temple that will be rebuilt. Let me just show you something real quickly. Here's death and resurrection of Christ. Here's the church. Here's the rapture. And then there'll be the seven years of the tribulation. This is us. We're gone. In the tribulation, there will be a temple built, which the, which the uh, Antichrist puts his idol up in the temple. We call it the tribulation temple. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 4 basically says he goes into the temple and sets his idol up there. God and, and let me put it this way, Antichrist allows the Jewish people when this peace pact is made, he allows them to rebuild their temple. And that's the temple that he puts his idol up in. And then finally, and we're going to see in Revelation chapter 20, when Jesus comes back, he sets up a kingdom, and there's a temple there as well. And it talks about he rules and reigns and all of that. And um, a couple of the Old Testament passages talk about that he's the king priest. And so it's really, really powerful. Now, let me show you one other thing, which I think you're going to love, is that when we get to the eternal state, there'll be no temple when we get to the place that's eternity, Revelation 21, 22 says, I saw no temple in it. There's no temple. Why? For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And we won't need a temple in the eternal state. 
So they've had a temple all the way through because the temple is is a is like a picture. It's like a picture of them of the Messiah of God of the Savior. But when you get to the eternal state, you, you don't need that. And so that's some pretty interesting information. Now we're going to get some hard stuff here and just. Just a few minutes, okay? So I just want you to be ready for it. And so we get as we get to the top of the next page, how long would this get? You know, by, by the way, the temple was the center of worship. The temple was the place of sacrifice. The temple was the place of fellowship. And it is gone. And the Jews aren't even there anymore. And they're scattered all over. And they've taken to Babylon. And what's going to happen to them? And so we raise a couple of questions. What will the people do? And how long will the captivity last? Well, we already know, right? How long will the captivity last? 70 years. Look at this right here. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21, same place we were. It says, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is the one that says this. Until the land enjoys its Sabbath, all the days of its desolation, it kept the Sabbath. Until what? 70 years were complete. It's going to be 70 years. Let me show you something else. Where did Jeremiah say this? Jeremiah 25, 11. Now remember, Jeremiah was writing this before they were taken off into captivity. He writes and tells them, the entire land will be a place of ruins and an object of horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for how long? Seventy years. If some, and You know, that were, there were false prophets telling them, there's going to be peace, Babylon will not conquer us, we're going to be fine. And Jeremiah says, no, 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 they're going to come in here and get us. Now, I want to read something for you. It, it, this is, um, and I think it'll surprise you. This is uh, Jeremiah 25, 25, 11, and 12. I want to read a little bit more of it just for you, just so you can get this. It says, The whole land will be desolate and horror, and these nations will serve Babylon for 70 years. Then, when the 70 years are complete, I will punish the king of Babylon. And that nation declares the Lord for their iniquity. How does he punish Babylon? Who's next? Medes and the Persians. Medes and the Persians come in and conquer Babylon. Babylon thought they were the greatest. Did you know they had the city? And, and they had a, there was a river running through the city of the, of the capital. And they thought they couldn't be conquered. And the Medes and the Persians surrounded them in one night cut off the river, climbed up under the gate, and conquered the city in one night. One night. And so he's going to punish them. Look at this right here. Jeremiah 29.10. For this is what the Lord says. When the 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. What does he promise the Jewish people? Now I'm going to read the next verse. And you tell me if you've heard this wrongly applied. The, this is verse 10 again. For thus says the Lord, when the 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you. Who is you? Israel. Israel. And fulfill my good word to you and bring you, who? Back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you. Who? Israel declares the Lord plans for your welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. How many people you heard use that? Say, I know, God's told me. He's, uh, he knows the plans he has for me. Not from this verse. That's Israel. You can say God knows the plans for me because he's working all things according to the counsel of his will and he loves me. But don't use this verse to do that because this is talking about Israel. So it's just wild to watch people take verses like, if my people are called by my name. Right? Have you all read that? Who are they talking about? You know what the next verse says? That verse says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from me, and I'll heal their land. The next verse says, But they didn't, so he took them out of the land. <laughs> so don't use that for America. That's not America. We're not his people. We're not his people. Who is his people? Israel. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. We're not the chosen people. We're the, we're the body of Christ that fits in Jews and Gentiles. So anyway, uh, just thought I'd throw that in there. Just because so, it makes me mad. Okay. Uh, and, and by the way, in 25 verse 4, he is talking to the exiles. So he's not talking to us or anything like that. But let's take a look at Israel in captivity. Now, I'm going to show you some things. And 
Uh, you you kind of we got. Let me look at the time. Yeah, we got plenty of time to go through this. And if you got questions or comments, we'll do it. But let's talk about the captivity for just a minute. And as we do that, we need to talk about the seven Gentile world empires. And I'm going to be writing up here because we're going to talk about Daniel. Okay, the book of Daniel, written during the captivity, is amazing. So let's talk about it. Who are they? Egypt, how do they relate to Israel? The Egyptians had them in slavery, and we see Moses. The Assyrians got the northern empire. We see Babylon got the southern kingdom, Daniel and Ezekiel. We see the Medes and the Persians came, and under the Medes and Persians, they returned, and that's Ezra and Nehemiah and Jerubbabel and all those people. Then the Greeks and the Macedonians came, and we see that that took place between the Testaments. Then we see the Romans and the time of Jesus, and the revised Roman Empire, which is going to be the time of Antichrist. So you got that, right? Everybody, I'm going to give everybody time to write some of that down, because all I did was list them. And I want, to, I want you to stop and think for just a minute. Everybody pretty much, well, I want everybody to be watching this in a second. Okay, anybody know when Daniel lived? I mean, it's not hard, because I got it up there. Where is it? Right there. Okay, so when Daniel came, how many of the seven Gentile world empires had already happened? Two. So how many's left? Five. Now, I want to show you something. When this one ends, there's a big break. Here's the Old Testament. Here's Jesus dying on the cross, paying for sin. This is the Roman Empire. And all of a sudden, there's a break because there's the church. And then, in the rapture, and in the tribulation, and the tribulation is the revised Roman Empire. Now, the church was a mystery. So when Daniel gets revelation, and God actually tells him about Babylon, and Medes, and Greeks, and Romans... He doesn't even see these. He sees them, but he doesn't know what they are. In fact, he thinks this and this are the same thing. He doesn't know there's a break because he, God did not tell people in the Old Testament there would be the church. So I want you to stop and think, okay, that when we look at Daniel in just a minute, he knows that he's with the Babylonians. He says the Medes are coming. He says the Greeks are coming. He says the Romans are coming. And he says the Romans have feet that have ten toes. Well, the ten toes are down here. He just doesn't know it. And I'll show you in just a minute. Now, let me show you one other thing. When John wrote the book of Revelation, when did John live? Not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle, the one that wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote it in about 90 A.D. So when did he live? What empire did he live in? The Roman, okay, if you read Revelation, I'm not going to take the time just because we look at the time. If you read Revelation 17.10, John writes, and God says to him, there are seven kingdoms. Five, he says to John, five have come. One, two, three, four, five. Then he says to John in 17.10, one is, what do you think he says after this? And there's one to come. He gives the seven Gentile world empires at the time of John, and he says five have already happened, one is, and one is to come. Now let me ask you something. Is this perfect or what? I mean, is this, is this amazing? I want you to think about this. How perfect is the Bible that all this fits together? Okay, so now, with this in mind, get ready to ask some questions, okay? And so we're going to now move to Daniel. And let me just go, go to Daniel. Turn in your Bibles, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and go to Daniel chapter 1, and I just want you to see something. Get a little background. Now, the book of Daniel has to be one of the great books ever written. I mean, of course, every, you know, could say about every book in the Bible, right? I mean, somebody could say, what, you, you don't think Habakkuk is good? What, what's the problem here? But the truth is, this is so amazing because Daniel gets all of the prophecies for the future. 
So I'm going to erase this for a second, and I'm going to show you things, and, and I'm going to try to make it as clear as possible. Sometimes it's real clear and it's easy to follow. Sometimes it's not, but I want to show you something. So let me turn my page here, and we're in Daniel. Look at Daniel chapter 1 for just a second. And look at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, if you go back to that chart, Jehoiakim was the king in the first deportation. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. What year was that? 605 B.C. This is 605 B.C. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim of Judah into his hand. So he got him, and they took people off. And then he said this in verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths in, in whom there was no defect. They were good-looking. They were intelligent, every branch of wisdom, and they brought them to train them. And a guy by the name of Daniel and some friends named Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they changed their names. They also changed Daniel's name. You know what his name was? Belteshazzar. That's his name there, but we still call him Daniel. And so Daniel and his friends were taken off into captivity, and they were trained in all of the wisdom of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And they were so smart that God let them be smarter than anybody else. In fact, Daniel was so far above it when they started quizzing him. He answered everything. He could speak the language. He could do things. He was so wise. And they went, who is this guy? And they went and told Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, this guy's smarter than anybody we've ever seen. And he said, well, make him, get him in a position of leadership. And they did. So Daniel became what they known as a wise man. And in, in Babylon, the king had wise men. And when he had a decision to make or something to think, he'd say, call in the wise men. And he'd call them in and he'd say, tell me this. And then they would all meet and talk about it. Now, the truth is, some of these wise men weren't very wise. But Daniel really was. And so as we get to chapter 2, Daniel is one of the wise men. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he has a dream about a statue. And the statue, he, he, he went to sleep. And let me read this to you. This is chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he had dreams. And he was troubled. And we woke up from the dream and he said, Man, did I have a bad dream? Or did I have a weird dream? And so he said, Let's call in the wise men. It, what, it, is that what you do, right? Call in the wise men. And he said, Wise men, I had a dream. I want you to tell me what the dream means. And they went, well, yeah, we could, we could do that. Uh, just tell us what the dream was. And he went, no, I'm not going to tell you what the dream was. Because if you can't tell me what the dream was, then you can't tell me what the dream means. And they went, uh, nobody has ever asked that before. And he said, guess what? If you don't tell me, I'm killing every one of you. He's not very smart because he's just going to kill off all his wise men. Well, guess who one of the wise men were? Daniel, but he wasn't called in on this. And so they get ready to go kill the wise men because nobody can tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was and what the dream meant. And so Daniel's, they come in, they come in to round them all up and Daniel says, what are y'all rounding us up for? He says, he's going to kill y'all because nobody could tell him the dream or the answer. He said, just give me a few minutes. And so he, he went and said, Lord, tell me. And God told him what the dream was and what the dream meant. So he comes back and says, hey, don't kill everybody. I know it. So he says, okay, let's go. So he takes him to Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, I found this man. You might remember him. He's one of the real smart ones. He says he can tell you the dream and tell you the meaning. And Nebuchadnezzar says, yeah, because if you can't tell me the dream, then you can't tell me the meaning, and I'll kill you all. He said, okay, I'll tell you what the dream was. He said, you saw in your dream a statue, a really tall statue. And the, the head was made out of gold. And you could see Nebuchadnezzar going, how does he know this? And the arms and the chest were made out of silver, and the stomach and the things were bronze, and the legs were made out of iron, and the feet were made out of iron and clay. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, how do you know that? He said, well, I don't know what person, but the God in heaven knows it. And so he talked about a statue. And the head was gold, and the arms and chest were silver, and this was bronze, and this was iron and clay. I mean, this is iron, and the feet were iron and clay. And then he said to Nebuchadnezzar, 
Nebuchadnezzar, here's what this is. This is the coming future that God has let you know. You're the head of gold. After you, there'll come another nation. This is, this is Babylon. Who is this right here? Medes and the Persians. Who's this right here? Greco Macedonians. Who's this right here? And who's way down here? Revised Romans. He's telling him the story. And he told him what happens. And he said, these kingdoms, these kingdoms will come. And so, here's what we know, and this is how it fits together just for you to know, that the head of gold represents Babylon, and the silver represents the medial the Persian that's going to come after them. The bronze represents the Greco-Macedonians that's going to come there. The iron represents the uh, Roman. What were the legions of, of Rome called? The iron legions of Rome. Iron legs. And then, since Daniel didn't know, let me show you again. Jesus dies, church, tribulation, kingdom. Daniel didn't know about this. This is where Rome ends, and this is where the feet begin. And he didn't know it because what he saw was here to here, because he didn't see the gap. And so when he saw it, he said, there's legs of iron and then feet of iron and clay with ten toes. Does anybody know that in the tribulation, the tribulation starts with what kind of kingdom? A ten-king federation. It tells you that there are ten kings. There are the ten kings told to Daniel, wait, let me make sure I got this right. Am I, yeah, told all the way back to right there. So just understand. Uh, is this making sense? Because if it's not making sense, stop me and say, make sense. And so I can help it. So have you got this? Can you believe that Daniel, because remember, the, the Egyptians and the Assyrians have already come. So then there's the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greco-Macedonians, the Romans, then the church age hidden, and then the revised Roman Empire. That's the seven Gentile world empires. Two had already happened for Daniel. He didn't know there were five to go. He only thought there were four because the Bible tells him there's four and, and he doesn't give him the answer. And when he, listen to this. This is Daniel talking to the king. He said, the dream is this. Here's the interpretation. You, king, of the kingdom of heaven, you are the head of gold. After you will rise another kingdom, which will be bronze. After that will be another kingdom, and then there will be a fourth kingdom, which has iron legs. And then he gets to the very end and says, and then there's feet, which have toes, and they're partly... And then at the very end, a big rock comes, hits the statue, breaks it into a million pieces. The wind blows it away, and the big rock becomes the kingdom of God who's going to take over everything. So Daniel saw it all. Now, I've got something to show you, so you're going to have to really uh, buckle up, okay? Because it's fixing to be something so incredible. If you've never seen it, you'll love it. If you've seen it a lot, you'll still love it a lot, okay? So let me just get this up to here. That's the rapture. I'm just going to say it this way. This is the seven-year tribulation. We'll come back in just a minute. Here's the thousand-year reign of Christ, and here's the eternal state, okay? So I've got that drawn up for you. Now, here's Daniel, and that was in chapter 2, that God actually showed him the future kingdoms to come. And let me tell you, there's some other places that Daniel had dreams, and he says there'll be a kingdom coming called the Medes, and the Persians, and there weren't any Medes and Persians. And then he actually says there's going to be this king coming, and they will be the Greeks. And there's no such thing as the Greeks. He names them long before they ever come. You understand that the Bible is so amazing. That's why I told uh, some people that when you study the book of Daniel, you have to be careful because it's so exact of the future that some people say Daniel didn't write it. It had to be somebody that lived after Daniel, looked back at the history, and wrote it down. No, Daniel gives history before it ever happens. So the folks that lived in Iran, were there any people even Well, yeah, the medieval Persians, yeah, they were, they were there, but they hadn't come to power yet, and no even know who they were in the same way. Right. Some were, and some were called Medes. There was Darius the Mede and Cyrus. So the, the, the people that 
people. The Medes existed, the Persians existed. We think we don't know, but we don't know whether they even know whether the Babylonians even knew they existed or not. We don't really know. Because it just all of a sudden here it's like the Assyrians were conquered by the Babylonians. And when you remember when Hezekiah got sick and and somebody from Babylon came to visit him and he didn't even know who they were. He said, Oh, they're just some little place. They end up being the world power. But he didn't know that. And that was like, you know, so so they just don't know everything. And and of course Greek, right, you know, what Philip of Macedon, Alexander the Great, the Greeks come, they take over, then the Rome come, Roman legion comes in there. I mean, it's just amazing. He saw all of that long before it ever happened. Long before it ever happened. Okay, now, now comes the hard part. Okay, you ready? You're at the top of the page where it says kingdom to come, and you see Daniel 9, 24 through 27. I want you to turn over there. I want you to see the most amazing prophecy in the Bible. Okay? This is the most amazing prophecy in the Bible as far as the time is concerned. So Daniel chapter 9, it's an important chapter in the Old Testament concerning God's timing and the nation of Israel. So look at chapter 9, look at verse 1, okay? And once again, if, if there's a question or comment, you stop me right then so that we can grasp this. It's so beautiful. Look at this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Medes whose descendants were the king over the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years that Jeremiah wrote about the desolation of Jerusalem, 70 years. Daniel says he was reading the book of Jeremiah, and he either found Jeremiah 29.10 or 25.11 or 25.11.10 or 29.10, and he saw that it was 70 years. You understand, Daniel didn't really know how long it was going to be until he read Jeremiah. And and he said this. He said, wait a minute. We went into captivity. We went into captivity in 605, and it says 70 years. And he says, good gracious, it's been 70 years. So he prays and says, thanks, Lord. Thank you. It's time's up. Please let our people go back. Guess what? He never goes back. He's too old. How old was he when he was captured? 14, 15, 16, how many years have passed? How old is he? He's 85, 86, maybe closer to 90, who knows? When he gets thrown in the lion's den, is he a young man or an old man? He's an old man, old man. He's just standing there going, you lions better not eat me. It's just gristle, you know what I mean? It's not worth it, it's not worth it. I want to read something to you. Hold your place in Daniel and listen to this. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, and he said that the Jews would go back and rebuild the house in Jerusalem. This was a pagan king. His name was Cyrus the king of the Persians. The Persians were the Medes and the Persians. Darius was a Mede. Cyrus was a Persian. They came together, the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus was the real leader. And Cyrus said, for some reason, I think the Jewish people ought to go back and rebuild their temple and their city. And people said, what? He said, yeah, uh, they should go back. And I'm going to pay for it. And he did. A pagan king named Cyrus paid for the Jewish people to go back and rebuild their temple. Now, here's something you've got to grasp. Okay. It's it's a little bit hard to explain, so I'm going to do the best I can. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, God gives the future to Daniel of when the Messiah would come to the earth and when he would die. Daniel was told when the Messiah would come and when he would die. Look at Daniel chapter 9, look at verse 24. God says to Daniel, 
Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. I'm going to stop there. Seventy weeks. I'm going to write it right here. In the Hebrew language, the word for week means seven. If I said a dozen, what would you say? Twelve. In Hebrew, if you said hepta, it would mean what? It's the word for week, but it means what? Seven. Just like the word dozen means twelve, this word weeks mean seven. So God says seventy sevens. Notice what he says. Seventy weeks, seventy, what if I said seventy dozen, you'd say well, seventy times twelve. If I said seventy weeks, you'd say seventy times how many? Seven. seven. And that's how many? Four hundred and ninety. He says, I'm giving the Jewish people 490. Now, the question would be, is it 490 minutes, 490 days, 490 months, or 490 years? Well, the truth is, the only thing that fits is 490 years. So to Daniel, he says, I'm giving Israel 490 years. Okay, are we good on that? And it, so 490 years given to what? To Israel. And at 70 what? Weeks. Okay, so we got it? Let me, let me see. Okay, here we are. 490 years to the nation. Now watch what happens. I'm going to come back to that just for a second. Okay, here we go. He says this. So that verse 25, from the decree... From the issuing of the decree to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, will be how many weeks? And 62. So there's going to be a decree to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. From that day until the Messiah will be how what? What was it? Seven weeks, which is how many years? 49. Plus 62 weeks, which is how many? 434 years. He says, from the time of the decree until the Messiah, and you add that together, what does that add up to be? Does anybody know? 483 years. From the decree to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah is 483 years. Now, if they read this, could they have known when the Messiah was coming? Yes. Okay, now let me help you do two things. First of all, when was the decree? The decree, only decree to restore and build Jerusalem was found in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Just write that down, Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. And the year was 444 or 445 B.C. Now you might say, okay, I'm pretty smart. I'm going to add up from 444 B.C. to about 30 A.D. when Jesus died and see if it matches. And guess what? It doesn't. And here's why. Because we say our years are 365 and a fourth days and the Jewish calendar is 360 days. And when you use the Jewish calendar from the decree till Jesus was exactly 483 Jewish years. You understand that? Okay, is that good or bad? Is that amazing? Okay, so he actually knows, Daniel actually knows, that from the decree to restore and build Jerusalem till the Messiah is 483 years. Guess what? When do you think Jesus died? At the exact 483-year mark. He sure did. He sure did. So let me show you something. Uh, let, me get, let me get through it, and then we're going to show some charts. He says that after that, the Messiah will be cut off. Verse 26 says, the Messiah will be cut off. The city will be destroyed. What happened after Jesus died? What happened to Jerusalem? It was destroyed by the Romans. Then he says there's going to be this person coming. And, and verse 27 says, and he, this is the Antichrist, he will make a covenant with the many for how long? One week. That's how long? Seven years. Okay, so the Jewish people were promised how many years? And at Jesus' death, there was 400 and what? How many years are left? The Jewish people still have seven years left, right? When is that seven years going to happen? The tribulation. 
But let me show you something. As far as Daniel was concerned, he went from here to here because he never saw the church. He said there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks and then one week. So on your little handout there, it says seven weeks plus 62 weeks plus one week equals 70 weeks or 49 years plus 34 years, then the church, plus seven years is 490 years. Now I'm going to show you a chart, and I've got several charts just to give you an idea. And if you have a question, just stop me. Okay, so what this shows, it shows from the decree, 445 B.C., until the Messiah was 483 years. Seven and 62 makes 69. 400. And then here's the blank, here's the church age, here's the rapture, here's the tribulation, it's seven years. Why is it seven years? Why is the tribulation seven years? It's the final seven years of the Jewish people. So look, 49 years plus 62, 49 years, but it's supposed to be 62, uh, it's supposed to be um, 62 weeks, four, seven, it should be seven weeks and 62 weeks, it's 483 years. Messiah die in one, in the, at the, after the one week, seven years. So here's another chart just to give you an idea. There's the decree. There's the 483 years. That's the Messiah being cut off. This is the church age, which he never saw. Here's the final one week, which is the tribulation. Halfway through the tribulation, what does the Antichrist do? Puts his eye. Listen to this. This is verse 27. And in the middle of the week, he will stop the sacrifices. It's called the abomination desolation. Does this make sense? Isn't this beautiful? Is this the most unbelievable thing? Look at this one. Here's another chart. So... Seven weeks, 62 weeks, 49 years, 434 years. Here it is, a 483-year mark from 444 B.C. to A.D. 33. Jewish years is exactly 483 years. And then there's the church age, which is us. So the Jewish people still have seven years left. And that seven years is going to be the tribulation. That's why the tribulation is for what people group? Jews. It's not for the... Church, that's why the church is gone. That's why there's a rapture. That's why we're not going to be there. Okay, I've got one more chart I want you to see, and this is what Daniel saw. Daniel saw 69 weeks, Messiah die, and then one week. He didn't know there was a church. If you'd have said to Daniel, 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 you got your chart wrong. We're here. And he'd go, I never heard of you. He would go straight from here to here, which is that chart right there. Does this make sense? Is it too much? Is this beautiful? Do you know when somebody says the tribulation is going to be how long? And if somebody ever said, why is the tribulation seven years? Why is the tribulation seven years? It's the final seven years of the 490 years that God promised His people. God never goes back on a promise. He told them, I'm going to give them 70 weeks or 490 years, and they've used up 483, and they still have seven to go. What do you think about this? Questions, comments, input? All right, Charlotte. Yeah. Is there a reason that the church was un a mystery? I mean, do we know of a reason why? No, I mean, he doesn't tell us. He just says he never told about the, the fact that he would take Jew and Gentile, put them into one body together. It's never been that way. In fact, if you remember, there's always been the Gentiles and the Jews, and that's the way it was. And then now there's the Jew, the Gentile, and the Church of God. There's three different people groups now, so to speak. And the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles who believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So there's no, we don't know why the church was a mystery. Paul writes about it and says it was uh, not made known in the past, but is now revealed. So we are the mystery. And one of these days... We're going to be gone. And when we're gone, a man of sin will come to power. There'll be a ten-king federation, the ten toes. One man will rise up to power called the Antichrist. He will make a peace pact with the nation of Israel for how long? Seven years. And right in the middle of it, he breaks the peace pact at the three-and-a-half-year mark, puts his idol up in the temple. We'll get more details on this. And this is, this is really amazing because uh, if, you, if you've read Scripture... What is the idol in the temple? Does anybody know? I know time is up, but what's the idol in the temple? You know what it is? It's some kind of robot because it speaks and moves. It's not him. The Antichrist is not in the temple. He puts his idol up in the temple, which talks like him, looks like him, and people are demanded to worship him and that idol. And if they don't, they're put to death. So there's a lot of... Huh? So easy to see now. 
It is. I mean, we see robots now that look like people, don't we? Yeah. yeah well, we, we haven't seen nothing yet. Okay, so let me, let me finish this out for you. So you got it? This is all during the captivity. So if you said to Daniel, and if you read the book of Daniel, you can know the whole future. You can know the whole future just from the book of Daniel. So let me give you this. And, oh, that's, and that's, that's this chart. That's where Jesus died. This is the church. There's the rapture. There's the seven-year tribulation, which goes back to the final seven years. Then Jesus comes, sets up the kingdom, rules for a thousand years. We'll talk about later. Why does Jesus have to come and set, set up a kingdom? Why does there have to be a kingdom in this earth for a thousand years? You may say, well, I don't know. I'll tell you why, but not now. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it, okay? So it, there's a reason, okay? Now, so here's what I want you to put down. Here's Wild and Captivity. Here's the things that changed that uh, happened. First of all, there was the rise of the synagogue. There wasn't any synagogues in the Old Testament. It wasn't until they came that... But let me ask you something. What is a synagogue? You may know. Synagogue, actually, synagogue means to come together. So what, what was a synagogue? It was the meeting place of the Jewish people. They would come together, they would read the scripture, they would sing, they would worship God. Why hadn't they done that before? They had the temple, that's exactly right. They had the temple. Okay, the importance of the Sabbath. Why did they go into captivity? They didn't keep the Sabbath. No false worship. Why did they go into captivity? They worshiped false gods. And then we see the rise of the scribes. The scribes were the scholars. They knew the Bible. And so when you had a Bible question, instead of going to the priest, you went to the who? The scribe. And so at the time of Jesus, you've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and all these people. Where did they come from? If you straight from the New, Old Testament to the New Testament and said synagogue, scribes, Pharisees, you'd say, where did they come from? I've never heard of them. They're happening all in the end of the Old Testament and in that intertestamental time, that, that in-between time. All right, so let me give you, let me give you how, how did the Jewish people feel about captivity? <laughs> By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. But you know what Daniel told them? It's not over. We're going back. We're going back. We'll get our time. So, let me give you some keys, okay? So, write, I think we've got a place to write these down. Okay, and we'll go fast. I'm so sorry, I'm going over. Uh, God allowed the Jewish people to go into captivity in 722 B.C. to the Assyrians and 605 B.C. to the Babylonians because of their disobedience. You don't have to write it word for word. Just remember that God allowed them to go into captivity because of their disobedience. Why do you think, while you're writing that down, why do you think God allowed the Holocaust? Got to be one of the most horrible times. One man leading a nation to kill six million Jewish people, to exterminate them. Why would God allow that? I actually think, I, I actually have a reason. I, I think that after the war, people were so upset and realized what had happened to the Jews that they were willing to allow them to form a nation. And, and then for the first time in 2,000 years, Israel became a nation May 14, 1948. Wow. God allowed the temple built by Solomon to be destroyed. Okay. Right as fast as you came, we're running out of time. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Here's the third one. God revealed to Jeremiah the captivity would last for how long? Seventy years. All you have to put in is Jeremiah seventy years, God do it. <clears throat> and one more. Here's the last one. Daniel chapter 2 and 9 give us prophecies of future kingdoms and God's kingdom with Jesus. Wow. Daniel 2 and 9, prophecies of the future kingdoms. 
let me ask a question when you get through writing this down before we get to, there's a few applications and um, I hate to, but I got the quiz to look at as well. Let me ask you a question. How many of you had heard this? I've taught this before a lot here, but is this new to any of you, the, the 490 years and the 483 at Christ? Anybody, is it brand new to you? It's amazing, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Okay, here we go. Applications. Let's understand that no matter where we are, God's with us, right? The Jews were in captivity. Was God with them? He was. What did he tell them? You're going back. He gave it to Daniel. He told him the exact time. He even told him the time the Messiah would die. Can you imagine that? Okay, let me give you this one. Understand, God wants us to know and understand the future events. He wants you to know the flow of end-time events. And we're going to talk more about it. But just, you don't have to put down every word again, but just know that God wants us to understand the future events. So powerful. And then I think that's the third one. is Let's understand that one day, Jesus will rule in Jerusalem as the King of Kings. One day He's going to rule as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we're looking forward to that day. And why? Why does he have to rule on this earth and then why in the future?